0: Exodus chapter 14, then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Piharhiroth, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Bath and you shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say to, of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land, the wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, and they did so. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them and camped at the sea by p hahiroth in front of Baal-Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in the Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry out to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who was before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was a cloud in the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them and went in after them in the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and, and the cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea, that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered of the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being walled to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. So, uh, as many of you know, March Madness is in full swing. If you're not familiar with college basketball, March Madness is the annual tournament where there are 68 teams that participate in a single elimination tournament. Uh, to see who is going to be the national champion each year. And you kind of have to feel sorry for some of the teams, Uh, especially when you have a really small school that has to face a really big school and where you feel like they don't have much of a chance. And that's changed a little bit, especially this year. But I remember in 2005, I was a senior in high school, and I was set to go to Niagara University the following fall. And Niagara University made the NCAA tournament. It was the, only the second time that they had made it, the first time since 1970. They had won their conference. Uh, I believe they won the tournament to get there to the NCAA tournament. And so I went to this rally at the school. And uh, at this rally, everybody was just going nuts. Excitement was at an all time high. And at this rally, it was going to be decided who Niagara University was going to play in the tournament. And then when it was announced who they were going to play, they were going to play Oklahoma. Everyone was just going crazy, so excited that they were going to the big dance, as they call it, the tournament. And their reward was they got their butts kicked. I mean, they didn't have much of a chance the entire game. They ended up losing, I think, by 17 points, but it really wasn't all that close. And you got to kind of feel for them because they went from being on the top of the world, not you know, making the tournament for the first time since 1970, winning their division, having a great record record to just get them blown out. And you wonder what was going through those players' minds as they're just getting their butts kicked on the national television. And you wonder if they felt like they should keep going or that they should give up. And Israel, I think, maybe felt a little bit like that. See, they were kind of on the top of the world. God had fulfilled his promises to them Finally, Pharaoh had let the people go. The Egyptians are literally giving them parting gifts as they're going. Basically, they're like, all these bad things are happening to us. Let's just make Israel happy. Let's just send them on their way with jewelry and uh, dishes and whatever they want. Let's just give it to them and get them out of here because if not, we're all going to be dead. And so they're kind of on the top of the world. It says in chapter 13, verse 18, the people went out of the the land of Egypt equipped for battle. They didn't go out as just a bunch of dejected slaves. They came out as as warriors ready to fight whoever would come in their way. It says in chapter 14, verse 7, the people of Israel were going out defiantly. This Word defiantly comes from a phrase that literally means that they were lifting their arms, that they were raising their arms. They weren't raising their arm in worship. They were raising their arms saying, we have defeated the Egyptians. They are giving us what we wanted, and we're ready to face whoever comes against us. So they're on the top of the world. They're raising their arms up, but then they raise their eyes up, and they see the Egyptians are coming after them. Pharaoh has changed his mind, decided that he wants the uh, Israelites to come back, and he is headed to, to Israel to put them into submission. It says in the text that he's coming with 600 choice chariots, and over those chariots he has officers, hero commanders, who would uh, be officials over them, these uh, chariots, were known, chariots were known for their archers. The archers would stay in the chariots and have some means of protection. And they were ready to literally rain down fire upon the Israelites. And so they go from a place of confidence and being on top of the world to a place of desperation. And they cry out to Moses. They say, is it because of Egypt has no graves that you've brought us here? Why did you bring us out here? We knew this was going to happen. We knew that we can't face Pharaoh and live. Why didn't we just stay back in Egypt? At least we'd be alive. And we'd be servants. But we'd have food and we'd be alive. See Israel's army is big and strong. And powerful. And all their fury is about to be unleashed upon Israel. And Israel's first response is. We're done. Let's just give up. See it's. Easier to give up sometimes than to fight a battle that we know we can't win. It's easier to give up than to fight a battle that we know we can't win. My brother, Michael, is a very good ping pong player. And growing up, uh, we would play ping pong sometimes. And I would be kind of talking smack talk with him. I'd be like, I'm going to kick your butt this time. And then we'd go and we'd play and I would lose. One more game, one more game. I'd lose again. One more game, one more game, and I'd just keep going to try to get one victory. And occasionally I would win one here and there. But eventually I just get to a point where like fine, you win. I give up. And then over time it got to a point where we didn't really play that much because it wasn't much point in playing, because he won every time. <laughs> Same way Israel is facing this formidable foe and they're they're giving up. We're gonna die. They're too powerful. And in and of themselves, this army was too powerful for them. And they're about to wave the white flag and say, we're doomed. I think maybe some of us feel that way in life. Some of us maybe we're facing some big enemies in our life. Maybe some of us are facing addictions. And we've been involved in this addiction for so long. And we've tried so many times to stop that we've given up hope that we could ever change. Some of us are... Maybe facing a battle for our marriages and maybe you're tempted to just throw in the towel and give up. Resolve that nothing will ever change. Maybe some of us are facing conflict within our families and maybe we're tempted to give up the the fact that we'll ever have peace in our lives. Some of us, maybe God is calling to take some step of faith. Maybe to move to another job. Maybe to serve in some particular ministry. And we're so afraid that we're going to fail that we would just rather stay put than fail. And so we give up what God would have for us and we just stay where we are rather than to risk failure. But the thing is, the Israelites see the chariots, they see the horses, they see all these commanders coming after them. But they don't see one thing, they don't see God. And it's remarkable that they don't see God because God has fought on their behalf before. God has literally brought this great Egyptian nation to their knees. He's brought these plagues upon them. He's declared war upon the father of Pharaoh, the sun god in the plague of darkness. He's declared war on the son of Pharaoh in the death of the firstborn. And see, God had brought the Egyptians to their knees. And as I said before, it says in chapter 12, verse 33, the Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. For they said, we shall all die. Just get out of here. Your God is too strong for us. All these bad things are happening to us and we just want you to be out of here. And so God had brought Egypt to their knees. And then we see that God leads the people out of Israel and he's ha- bringing them towards the promised land in fulfillment to the promises that he had made in the past with Abraham, with Isaac and Jacob. And through this, he's showing that he's faithful to his people. And apart from that, he's guiding them by a pillar of cloud and fire at nighttime. And so he's leading them to the place that he has for them. Yet they see the Egyptian coming and they forget about the God who's leading them. And from a human perspective, of course, they were no match for the Egyptians. They didn't have the chariots. They didn't have the armor. They didn't have the weapons. But they forget about God. And so Moses tells the people, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you only have to be silent. He says the Lord will fight for you. And then God says, why do you cry out to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. God says, why do you cry out to me? Well, we think, isn't it a good thing to cry out to the Lord? Well, of course, in general, it's a good thing to cry out to the Lord. But Israel and maybe even Moses are like, what are we going to do? They're going to kill us. We're doomed. There's nowhere to go. And maybe God is telling the Israelites and telling Moses... I can handle this. Stop telling me that I can't defeat the Egyptians. Stop telling me what I can or cannot do. Stop coming to me all worried and and fearful that you're going to die and ready to give up. And believe what I can do through you. Believe that I can defeat the Egyptians. Maybe God is thinking, Israel, do you really think That after I brought the Egyptians to their knees, after I brought all these plagues upon Egypt, after I fulfilled my promises to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and brought you out of the land of slavery, do you think that I have brought you here to just allow you to die? So God tells Moses, tell the people to get moving. Tell them to stop making excuses. Tell them to stop longing to go back to Egypt and see what I'm going to do. And I wonder if sometimes the way that we pray or the way that we cry out to God reveals our lack of faith in God. I mean, maybe we cry out to him and bring our problems and concerns, but we don't actually expect him to answer us or to act. We don't actually expect that he can do what we're asking him to do. And so we expect the worst to happen. And our prayer is just kind of resolved, God, if you can do anything about this, God, can you do it? And we come to him without faith. And so maybe we're like the Egyptians in the fact that we feel it would be easier to give up, to resolve ourselves to the worst happening than to really believe that God could change our circumstance, to really believe that God could act. See, it's easier to, fight to, to give up than to fight a battle that you can't win, but there's something fundamentally wrong with Israel's perspective. There's an assumption that they're making that is very wrong and that assumption is that they can't win the battle. Egypt's too strong to, to be defeated by an slave nation. But God says, watch me. Watch what I'm going to do. And then God brings this pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire, and he separates the Israelites and the Egyptians. And then God says to Moses, stretch out your hand. stretch out your staff. And Moses stretches out his staff and the waters part before them. They go through the waters on dry ground and go to the other side. Then the Egyptians come through and God puts them into a panic, their chariots start to fall apart. They say, We gotta go, we gotta go turn back. But when they start to turn back, the water is closing on top of them. And what's interesting is in the scriptures, what water represents is water often represents judgment. The prime example of this is the story of the flood in the days of Moses, or in in the days of Noah. I remember back in Genesis how God said that the thoughts and intentions of man's heart were evil continually. And how God resolved to bring judgment upon the earth because of their wickedness and sin. And so God brought judgment by means of water, by means of the flood, and everybody on the whole face of the earth was wiped out except for Noah and his family. And we see in the story of Exodus that God continually saves his people from judgment. He saved them from the death of the firstborn by means of the Passover rituals. And now we see that he allows them to walk through the Red Sea on dry ground. And they're saved from the waters of judgment. And that demonstrates something that I think is very significant. The fact that they walk through the waters of judgment and are unscathed. It indicates... That God is for them. It indicates that there's no judgment left for them. It indicates that God will not condemn them. God will not judge them. God is on their side. And God will judge their enemies. So Israel says we're going to die. Egypt is going to destroy us. We're fighting a battle that we cannot win. But they couldn't be further from the truth. They think they're they're entering a battle that they cannot win, but they're really entering a battle that they cannot lose because God is on their side. It's easier to give up than to fight a battle you can't win, but God calls us to fight battles that we cannot lose. Israel can't lose because the God of the universe, the God that created them, the God who called Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is on their side, that he's Delivered them from their enemies. Delivered them from the waters of judgment. And he is resolved to bring them into the promised land unscathed. Ladies and gentlemen, our story is not all that different from the story of Israel. For those of us who are believers in Jesus, Jesus saved us from the waters of judgment. When we first become believers, we're commanded to be baptized. To enter into the waters. And that's not something that saves us, but it's a declaration of faith and it's a picture of what God does for us. And when we enter into the waters, it's one of the things that it symbolizes. It symbolizes that we enter into the waters of judgment and yet we're unscathed. We're unharmed. And what this indicates is that God is for us also. That there's no condemnation left for us. And the scriptures tell us, if God is for us, then who can be against us? If God is for us, there's no battle that we cannot win. Romans eight thirty one to 39 says this, what, shall we, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? than conquerors that indicates is that in all things god calls us to battles we cannot lose as believers in christ god has a purpose and a plan for our lives just like god brought israel out of slavery and he intended to them, to bring them to the promised land god has a plan for us and the road to the promised land was filled with battles and temptations and trials But God was determined to bring his people to the promised land. And just like that, we were brought from slavery. Slavery to sin. Slavery to ourselves. And God freed us and he rescued us. And he has a plan for us. And he has a goal for our lives. And he's intending to bring us to a promised land. A place where God's justice and God's peace and God's righteousness reigns. And along the way, of course, there will be trials. There will be temptations. There will be struggles. But even in these things, God promises that ultimately we cannot lose. That even in these difficulties, God promises that he'll use them for our good and for his glory. John 16, 33 says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus has overcome the world. Likewise, Jesus told Peter that the gates of hell would not prevail against his church. Now, that doesn't mean that everything goes well with us. That doesn't mean that we can just claim a victory and then everything will go smoothly in our lives. No, we face battles. We face hardships. We face despair. But even in those things, we're more than conquerors. Even in those things, we know that we ultimately will win. That God's glory will reign. That he has his heart for his people. The psychologist named uh, Carol Dweck came up with a psychological theory that she called the growth mindset. And uh, some people have called it the power of yet. And she noted that, that there was one school, particular school that she admired. And uh, this school, instead of giving out fail, failing grades to students who didn't pass, they would give them the grade not yet. And she did this study of 10-year-olds and she gave them a problem that was just a little bit too hard for them that the, she knew that they wouldn't be able to solve and she kind of looked at their response to this problem that they couldn't solve. And some of the students they said things like I love a challenge. Some said you know I was hoping this would be informative. And so they were excited about the challenge and about learning new things. But other students, they were completely devastated. They felt that they were failures, that this test had proved that they were not smart, that they didn't understand things. And subsequent studies show that they had a tendency to try to cheat, to try to improve their situation. She notes that the students that ultimately were most successful were students who faced challenges with a growth mindset or not yet mindset. In other words, they saw challenges as an opportunity rather than as a sign of failure. And so while maybe they didn't understand it and they weren't able to solve a problem, they said, I'm not able to solve this problem yet. Other students says, I'm not able to solve this problem. I should just give up. But they said, I'm not able to solve this problem yet. And I wonder if Israel had taken this perspective. They saw the Egyptians coming after them. They said, They're coming with chariots. They're coming with armor. They're coming with all these heroes after them. And God hasn't saved us yet. But I know He's going to. I know He's going to come through. Just like He came through bringing all these plagues upon Egypt, just like He has brought us this far, He's going to come through. And He hasn't done it yet, but I know that He's going to. What if we applied this to our own lives? What if in the midst of difficulty and trial, we took this mindset? What if we said, I haven't been able to conquer this addiction or this sin yet. But I know God is going to deliver me from it. What if we said, I don't know why God would allow this to happen. I don't like this. This is a really sad thing that is happening into my life. I don't know why God would allow this to happen yet. Someday when I get to glory, I'll know. What if I say that I don't feel God's peace? There's conflict going on all around me. There's conflict in my relationships and I don't feel this peace And but I don't I know that God's going to bring it. I don't feel it yet. What if in the midst of difficult circumstances I don't see a way out yet but I know that God is going to provide it. What if we took that mindset and we looked at our struggles and our trials in life not as Things that we couldn't conquer, but it is things that we couldn't lose. That are battles worth opportunities for growth. Opportunities for God to use us. Opportunities for God to show His glory and His greatness to us. God calls us to fight battles we cannot lose. Because He's fought the ultimate battle for us. Going to the cross. And in that, he's promised that he's for us. And there's nothing that can separate us from his love. There's nothing that can separate us from his plan. And we know that just like he brought Israel to the promised land, he'll also bring us to the place that we're going. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you most of all that you are for us. And you declared in the cross that you're for us. That even though we're sinners and we're broken... That You left heaven and came down from glory to pay the ultimate penalty for our sins so that we might experience freedom from sin, freedom from slavery, freedom to serve You with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, and all of our minds, all of our strength. Lord, we just thank You for Your love for us. And we thank You that You call us to battles that we cannot lose. That even in the midst of difficulty and trials and temptations, You've promised us as, as, as your children that you'll be with us, that you'll never leave us, you'll never forsake us. And that you have a plan for us. You have a plan to bring us to the promised land. And that you'll use all the things in our life for, you, for our good and for your glory. God, we just thank you for all that you do for us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.